asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. Dude, dang it. We did not do anything special. This is our 700th episode of How to Money and a total missed opportunity to do something special. Yeah, it's not that special. We'll celebrate <laughs> when we get to 7,000, all right? Uh, definitely when we hit how about 1,000. Okay. Uh, that'll be if we if and when we get episode, to hopefully. a thousand episodes dude that's crazy yeah honestly but what better way to commemorate and celebrate the fact that we've recorded 700 episodes than to help listeners uh point them in the right direction yeah. and hopefully get them to make some wise decisions that's what we're going to be doing today we've that's got a roll every day but specifically yeah. five questions today <laughs> every episode but there's all there's five specific individuals who it feels like we're directly mm -hmm. reaching out to uh listeners she's wondering if the home warranty that she has whether or not it's worth it uh Another listener is wondering if he should focus on paying down the mortgage because his interest rate is not so great. And another listener, she is looking for some marketing tips. She is looking to ramp up the, the side hustle, the side business into something that can generate a little more income for her. So we've got some thoughts there as well, plus a couple of others today. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, before we get into those listener questions, Matt, I wanted to mention one thing real quick. Well, I got a shocking text uh, from a tenant who uh, apparently the ceiling just <laughs> collapsed in in one of the bedrooms. Fortunately, nobody was in there. But it's shocking to me. This is a house I used to live in back in the day, too. You're so. like, that used to be my bedroom. <laughs> right. Was it actually uh, no, it was you the, and Emily's? No, it was the second the, second bedroom. It was the guest bedroom. We That's never why. had any kiddos in there either. So, like, nobody was in. But it you, was, you showed me the photo. I couldn't. It looked like a bomb went off in the attic. I know. Because the, like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. All the drywall is just like, poop just fell down you got insulation everywhere it's not like there was a water leak or anything like that that softened the ceiling it's just one of those random occurrences but this is i just wanted to put this out there one not fun for a landlord or a tenant to deal with just money that goes out the window to make these repairs because that's what needs to happen in this case but it made me think i'll just leave it be like oh you've got a vaulted right. ceiling now. <laughs> yeah you'll be fine just Deal. Just clean it up and get, you know, <laughs> stop complaining. Well, but the other thing I wanted to mention, I think that, that can make sense or, or a way that can help everybody else is, man, if you're a tenant, get renter's insurance because it's mm. not oh, just yeah. in case of like uh, a house fire. And I don't know if he's going to make a claim. It doesn't seem like any of his stuff was really damaged. It's probably more of a mess. Yeah. Than, and the inconvenience. Right. And than... that's on that's on me to clean that up. Yeah, right. Exactly. For sure. But you let's better, say better do it, dude. Let's say he had some some of his prized possessions in that room and 
the the collapse ceiling and the subsequent fallout from from it really cost him a lot of money. Yeah, he could have had a Van Gogh laying there on the bed facing up. And <laughs> exactly. I think could have gotten ruined. And that's when you're going to want to make that claim and make the insurance company pay It's out. your fault, buddy. Right. Don't let that happen. Well, and I think a lot of tenants think, oh, the, that's on the landlord then. But no, for your no, items, it's not. It's exactly. Not. And so these are the kind of freak things that do happen from time to time. And since renter's insurance is so dirt cheap most of the time, about the cost of a Netflix subscription, it's you're, you're going to want to have it just in case. Hopefully, a ceiling doesn't collapse into your place. Hopefully, your uh, apartment or house or whatever doesn't go up in flames, which would be even worse. That's when it comes in even more handy. But still, you're, you're mm-hmm. going you're going to want to have it. Totally, man. Man, I'm just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I feel like you've had a string of bad things happen at real estate, at properties that you own. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like when, when when's all the bad stuff going to start happening to me? <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen. I feel like I've had some... Don't you curse me, Joel. Maybe not like <laughs> Job-like. That might be overstating it, but there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last year. There's been with, a few things. I've talked about the car accident, the tree falling through my roof, and then this kind of thing happened at rental properties. It, it, it feels like a lot sometimes. Yeah, well, you can drown, not drown your sorrows with beer, <laughs> but... Uh, it is. It makes nice everything better to enjoy a craft beer. That's what we do every episode, uh, and this is another one from Halfway Crooks Beer. This one is called Data Lost. It's an American Pale Ale. Really excited about this one, and we will share our thoughts at the end of the episode for sure. But let's move on to uh, listener questions now, Matt. And if you are out there listening and you're like, I've got a money question, I'd love Matt and Joel to tackle. Well, just go to howtomoney.com/ask. You'll see the simple instructions there, so you can submit, uh, record, and submit a voice memo to us, and hopefully. We'll take it on the next Ask HTM episode. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, including from listeners who have submitted uh, questions previously where we've answered them on the show. Uh, somebody emailed us recently and was like, hey, you remember me? You actually answered one of my questions and he was emailing with us and we're like, by the way, actually send us another voice memo because that would yeah. also be a fun one to tackle. You're not on, limited on to one. Show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. I mean, honestly, the more variety, the more fun it is for us. As well. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we're, we're helping folks, but it's also fun for us. And this is our podcast so we get to enjoy what it is that we do. Yeah. And so uh, let's get to the first one, Matt, though. This one specifically, this one's fascinating because it's about paying off a mortgage early, but there's also a fascinating twist to this question too. Hey guys, this is Ben from Grand Rapids. So I have a quick question. Um, My wife and I just recently, about three months ago, got our first ever house and we love it a ton, but our mortgage rate is 7.125. So um, it was a great house. We wanted it and the market, this is just where it was at when we were buying the house. So anyway, We have no other debts. We have about six months worth of expenses and an emergency fund, and we're maxing out our Roths and company matches and everything. So um, the question ultimately is, do we just pay down the mortgage as quickly as possible considering we have such a bad rate until it drops? Or do we try and somewhat arbitrage the difference there and invest all of our extra cash back into the S&P 500. So assuming it's 10, that'd be about a 3% difference, but we have a guaranteed 7.125 mortgage right now. So the only other caveat to this is our credit union actually gives back a rebate on the interest at the end of the year. So last year was about 40%. We have no idea what it's going to be this year and all future years, but that is something to consider. So curious what you guys are thinking um, again, we don't have any debts. We don't have really anywhere our money needs to go other than, you know, enjoying some trips probably before we have kids. But um, we, yeah, we we are trying to figure out exactly what makes the most sense for us with these numbers. Thanks. Well, Ben, going on some trips, man. I like the way that sounds because uh, it seems that y'all are doing a great job with the rest of your money. And I think going on vacation, doing some traveling before you have kids is an excellent idea. This is coming from somebody who... Just recently, <laughs> when we went to Scotland, went on my first international trip since we had kids, uh, or I guess got pregnant, so 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, I know, it's, it becomes a lot harder once lot kids hit tougher. the scene. You might be taking uh, a decade off, so get them in now. <laughs> it's actually, so it's not impossible, as we'll actually talk about this on the podcast next week, so you can look forward to that episode, that interview. Uh, but congrats, Ben, on purchasing your first house there, uh, even though the mortgage rates aren't what they used to be, it's still worth celebrating this this massive milestone. And you know, I think it's worth taking a minute to highlight the fact that we don't always make big decisions in life because they make the most financial sense. Sometimes you 
purchase a home, even when the mortgage rates are near 20-year highs, simply because you want to do that, right? Because you love a neighborhood, because you know that you're going to be there for a decade, and you know, because for you, this is a personal goal of yours. So we would say, try not to let that hamper your feelings and enjoyment of that house. Uh, make sure you throw some good parties there. Yeah. Enjoy it to the max. Well, the same thing is true of having kids. Like if you you wouldn't have kids if you're just basing everything on financial reasons. There, but there there's, you go. there's a whole lot of the reasons to procreate which and ben it sounds like that kids are in the future for them anyway so i, th- yeah. I feel like ben's he's got his head in the right place we don't, we don't have to like uh twist his arm on no that. yeah exactly <laughs> they're already going down that path well all right let's specifically talk about ben's question about refinancing and it's like we don't really know where mortgage rates are headed we know where they've been and that they're not uh, nearly as generous as they were a couple of years ago rates have gone up now in the seven percent range and there's this phrase matt that i've heard a lot more of marry the home date the rate and i there's something all helpful the, about it's all that. the realtors fa- new favorite right. fa- and it's <laughs> their phrase it's their way of basically trying to tell people hey guess what buy this home You're, you'll always be able to refinance down the road and yeah. it's going to lower your payment and so as long as you like the house uh then it the rate isn't really that big of a deal you might not have it all that long and that is kind of helpful but not really right because it's it's, you know, it's one perspective of many yes I, I would say yes and so like uh it is true that you might be able to refinance and lower those payments in the future you maybe <laughs> but hoping for a refinance and banking on it are two different things and so i think potential home buyers need to need to know that they're able to afford the current monthly payment as it stands, when they're buying the home, mm-hmm. they shouldn't get talked into buying a house they're not ready for because their realtor is forecasting lower rates next year. <laughs> um, and it, it would be nice. It would be nice. And I think that will come true at some point for people. Rates will, in all likelihood, go down some. Will they ever get back into the 2.75% range? I don't know. I'm, I'm no, I don't have any prognostication skills. I'm not going to make any <laughs> forecasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any predictions. But when you hear that phrase, it, it sounds nice. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. But the truth is there are other great houses out there, too. And so don't, don't let that, yeah. uh, that phrase twist you into thinking, yeah, I can buy a home because I'll always be able to get a lower rate in the future, which will lower my payments. And you just never know. Maybe not. Yeah. And you never know where rates are going to, where rates are headed. Fact is, when you are talking to a realtor, the incentive structure is, such <laughs> that they don't get paid unless you buy a home. Right. And so not again, not I, I know there are great realtors out there and lots, lots of them. Lots of them. And they are trying you know, they're trying to make help their clients make the best decisions, you know, for them and their finances. But it ultimately comes down to you and what you are willing to saddle yourself with, you and your family. Yeah, with. they're all, they're also not privy to your budget typically. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um by the way, Ben, this uh, credit union rebate that you mentioned is incredible. Uh, That's the twist I mentioned, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like a, what? I've never heard of this. It's like a wild card, yeah. essentially. It, it, it really changes things here. But Ben's credit union, they've literally given back 40% of interest paid for the past few years. And this is something that would never happen with a bank. That's honestly, it's just another reason to strongly look to a credit union for uh, your major borrowing needs. The reason that credit unions are able to offer incredibly generous perks like this is because the organization, it exists to serve the members. And you quite literally, like you, you pay a due, <laughs> anywhere from like five bucks to, uh, I've seen listed out $25 sometimes, which allows you to basically join this club. And that is in stark contrast to banks, which exist to create a profit for their their owners or their shareholders. But uh, Ben, he specifically shared a link to his credit union. But in some recent years, the rebate that they've uh, paid back to their members, it's been as high as 75%, which is mind-blowing. That's an incredible, basically, like I mean, a good way to think about it is like a discount, essentially, on the interest that you're paying to that credit union. It's a super, superpower, and it makes that 7.125% rate not feel nearly as bad as it actually could be if it was just with any other institution, Mm -hmm. right? And this is a really important detail, really important part of Ben's question. Uh, Not many people that I've never heard of anything like this before. So the fact that that he gets this is is great. And hopefully more credit unions adopt cool policies like this. But, uh, you know, assuming that let's say that rebate never goes back up to that high water line of 75%. And let's say it cruises along in this 40% uh, sort of uh, territory of a rebate every single year. Well, that effectively gives this massive discount on what is kind of a less than attractive mortgage rate. Yeah. Uh, a 40% cut 
on that rate of 7.125% basically makes it feel more like a four and a quarter, something like that, right? <laughs> Which is pretty great. And it's, especially yeah. if, if someone's doing the math and they're trying to figure out if they should pay off a mortgage early or just make regular payments, this rebate should massively factor in to that decision, right? And so the other thing is that Ben's Credit Union, they've paid this rebate for 42 consecutive years. It's not like it's fly-by-night sort of thing. It's not some yeah. fintech startup that's like, oh, we've got this new way of paying back homeowners and stuff like that. Like, It's, it, it's not like a new program that just launched last year. Right. This, this is something that's got a track record. It's It's been proven, yeah. which is amazing. And so you don't know how much your rebate's going to be, but you can see based on it's gonna be something. past years that you're, you're in all likelihood going yeah. to have some sort of meaningful rebate. And that would give me some comfort in maybe opting to do something else with this money instead of oh, shoveling it towards the mortgage. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ben, when you are doing the math, definitely be sure to include the impact of that annual uh, give back rebate. Because uh, even though it might change from year to year, like it effectively reduces that guaranteed return that you'd get by paying down the mortgage early. You know, so, like, you know, like, again, at least for this year, your guaranteed rate of return, it's only looking a touch north of 4%, which for me, like that would be more than enough to invest those excess funds rather than throwing it at the remaining balance uh, on your home. But here is where the like personal intersects with the finance. <laughs> you can totally choose to pay down that mortgage early and have made the right decision for you and your family. We know some very smart folks in the personal finance space, and they have chosen to do exactly that because when it came to their housing, they were looking for a touch more certainty, right? And so it just comes down to each individual. It comes down to their, their appetite for risk. But in my mind, if I were in your shoes, like there are multiple reasons to not pay down that mortgage early. Yeah. You've got the, the chance to potentially refund where mortgage rates to come down. You've got the ability for money invested in the stock market to outperform what you've seen over the past however many years of average returns. But then again, you've got this credit union wild card <laughs> that makes it even more. It's like prize door number three. It's like it's this thing that you know is going to be good as to whether or not like how good it's going to be like that remains unknown. But all signs point to this being something that's going to come out, I think, in your favor. And plus, just even saying door number three, it, it makes it sound a little more fun. And there's <laughs> there's no like rule out there that says that personal finance, that it can't be fun if you want to inject a little bit of, yes, uncertainty. But there's, I don't know, that to me, like that's sort of the fun side of things. Yeah. And there's very little risk, I would say, too, because of what you can earn in just straight up savings right now, 5%-ish in a savings mm -hmm. account. So you don't even have to get all risky with it, right? And start buying random crypto coins or something like that in order to hopefully outperform this spread between your, your interest rate on your mortgage like, yeah, you can start throwing money in tax advantage retirement accounts or even just in a straight savings account. And I think that's probably a better play than especially given kind of the way your credit union operates and the benefits that, that members are offered who have a mortgage. I would say, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably lean in that direction. And even just in the direction of, like you said, Matt, early on, kind of maximizing the joy that you can derive from life, pre-kids, taking some more yeah. of those trips. I mean, even... I. I don't know. I don't see mortgage pay down, given your situation, as being uh, a top-notch priority. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, this is coming from, I mean, I, I guess I don't really know this about you, Joel. But, like, I've never been tempted to pay down my mortgage early. I think early on, I mean, I know early on, I had a 15-year mortgage on one of our properties because I was wanting to get that extra low rate. But then a few years later, or not a, few, a number of years after that, I refinanced, and uh, there's a 30-year note yeah. <laughs> on that property instead because I, I wanted to do 15-year notes, but the rest are 30, and I'm not paying anything earlier than anything I should. Extra. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, well, these rates are low. Why not stretch these bad boys out and do other fun things or smart things, uh, ways to potentially grow that money even more rather than paying down. Uh, paying down that mortgage. So yeah, then the truth is for people who are now getting rates in the 7% range who don't have some sort of credit union rebate, it is trickier math, right? And it sure. is harder to justify not paying off that mortgage more quickly. But given the fact that Ben because of that rebate, has uh, a, a, an interest rate that looks more like what you and I have on a lot of our properties uh, and what people who had you know locked in a rate three, four years ago have, then there's just less room or, or need for him to pay it off more quickly. That's right. Yeah, it certainly feels more like a bird in the hand. But we've got some additional questions to get to. We've got a question from a listener who is just starting to invest. We'll get to that one plus others right after this. <music> 
When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, Matt, we're back. We've got more questions that we got to get to on today's episode mm-hmm. and anybody who owns a home uh, but has a mortgage on it right they they have traditional homeowners insurance but we've got a listener who's got a question about a different kind of insurance for their home hi my name is Haley, and i'm from sugarland texas i'm a newer listener to your podcast so i apologize if you guys have covered this before and i just haven't made it to it but my question is whether you believe that home warranties are worth the money or not my husband and i got a free one-year warranty when we purchased our home and then we've extended it um, and are paying for it ourselves now, but we're looking to trim some money from our budget and are wondering if that's maybe a good place to do it. All right. So we actually have talked about these before, but it's not something that we discuss often. So it's definitely worth talking about again. Thank you for your question, Haley. Uh, It's great uh, that you're looking to trim costs. I think a lot of folks are trying to find ways to slim down their budget, maybe Mm -hmm. as they've seen inflation impact some of their monthly expenses. And we think that axing a home warranty is a great way to basically like claw back some of these dollars uh, back into your life, back into your savings. And we're probably talking about even saving up to like 500 bucks a year, which is a legit amount of money. This isn't just it's like the average cost, I think, of a home warranty, right? Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in that range. Uh, the, tr- the truth is most people do exactly, Haley, what it is that, that you did. The person selling you a home, they, they offer uh, a sweet little home warranty because it gives the buyer some peace of mind. But then the buyer, they just keep footing the bill. <laughs> in subsequent years because it feels like the smart thing to do. It's like, well, we've already got it in place. Uh, it's, I feel like it's been good so far, yeah. but you're better off without this policy from not only a, a money perspective, but also because like from a headache perspective and, and what it is th- that these plans actually cover because they typically don't do as much as you think if you are actually in a situation where you need to put that thing to use. We think of these home warranties uh, as similar to like an extended warranty on a new phone you might purchase. It's an expensive way of getting the job done. There, there are better ways to skin the cat. You, In particular, put a nice case on it, right? Uh, uh, even like a $30 or $40 Otterbox uh, case on your phone will 
be better in all likelihood than a lot of these these plans that you could you could pay good money for. Mm-hmm. And so, if you haven't looked at the fine print on your home warranty, you might find that the coverage is actually more paltry than you thought it was. It might sound great, but it might not actually be that great in reality. Uh, let me highlight a couple of things. Like for some policies, there are annual payout limits or caps on how much they'll pay towards the items that they say they cover in your home. Or oftentimes there are additional fees that you have to pay when a contractor comes out for a service call. So it's not like this $500 policy means they come out for free to assess the problem. You're still going to be responsible for a certain portion of that bill, right? Yeah, it's not like a all you can fix buffet. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I think a lot of people think that's what it is. Exactly. That the home warranty, it's like, oh, 500 bucks, and then boom. I don't so have like, to think. We're paying real money about, uh, f- <laughs> real, real money for this. I, I should be able to call them whenever I want. It's like, oh, yeah, you could, but you're going to have to yeah. uh, drop 35, 50 bucks, whatever it is. Or lots of times it's 85 to 120, like, like for just for the diagnosis of the problem or something like that. And so uh, you, you essentially have a copay, right, that you have to cough up. There's the another uh, tricky thing that's hidden in a lot of these home warranty contracts is something known as depreciated value. So let's say that the repair on your stove is exorbitant. And so you and the home warranty company say, yeah, it's time to get a new one. Well, they will pay you based on the value of your stove. If it's 15 years old, they might say, uh, yeah, we'll pitch in 50 bucks towards the cost of a $700 new new range. And that's just frustrating. A lot of people don't realize that these home warranty contracts, they don't cover as much as you think. And so- Yeah, it's depreciated uh, value as yeah. opposed to replacement value. Right. Which is, if, if it's outlined, then that's just one small checkbox on the side, on the column of like, okay, maybe this is better than the average home warranty plan. Right. But, but yeah, look out for depreciated value ver- as opposed to replacement value. Yeah, and and so I just think people think they're getting more than they are uh, oftentimes with these policies. And, and the best way to go about it is to self-insure instead. That's what we prefer, right? Saving up more cash to repair or replace an appliance that has an issue in your home. And that way you, you're not dealing with a third party. You're not paying them money. And, and the headaches uh, that come along with that, along with the, the potential added financial stress of not having a policy that's up to snuff. Yeah, basically what you're paying for, I think, is like the convenience of thinking that you don't have to think about this when in reality it's something that you still have to think about right. <laughs> down the road. It makes me a buddy of mine, their AC uh, went out at the beginning of the summer and they and he had a home home warranty. If, uh. if I had known that he had that before, <laughs> <laughs> before uh, for years, basically, I would have been like, oh, you might want to not continue to carry that that policy. But he went back and forth for weeks trying to get this company out to actually repair the system. And I don't think they ever did. I, yeah. I need to follow up with them, but it's because the way the technician coded it, uh, they're like, well, no, this is rusted out. This thing's flooded. And under the policy, flooding, quote unquote, flooding doesn't count, but it wasn't uh-huh. flooding. It was that the unit, it wasn't, what is it? The pastor? The, the, no, the condensate line that, okay. you know, like the little pump that mm-hmm. drains off all the water, all the AC water. It wasn't draining. <laughs> it wasn't pumping the water out. And so I guess technically maybe it did get flooded, but not like flooding in the traditional sense where yeah. there's a flood from a creek or something like that that well, you would expect. And you bring up a, a pain point that you might be waiting longer too if you got to go through this third party to get somebody out there. They didn't have AC, I think, for something like two weeks, yeah, dude, which, while, while they were waiting. And his family... Think about that they right were now like, in Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, like, ter- or, or in much of the country. It's terrible. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. Yeah, the Southwest. I, it, whereas like I reached out to my HVAC guy about a uh, failed unit at one of my rental properties. But he's here like the next day he was out there the same day oh my gosh and replaced the capacitor total cost out of pocket for me uh, granted this is not normal this is so low i don't know how he's able to 75 bucks 75 it's bucks like just the cost of the capacity that's what it felt like oh i, I was need, like you need my ac guy oh i do because well, <laughs> yeah. i used to have an ac lady but she moved states she, so she's the one who recommended him to oh, me. oh yeah. really yeah oh, oh nice yeah so he's great i miss jennifer <laughs> <laughs> she was she was also sounds like this guy is following in her footsteps yeah uh but uh yeah Haley, our, our answer here is going to be a hard no Basically, anytime someone asks about these things, does it suck to pay for a new dishwasher part out of pocket or for HVAC repairs that you weren't expecting? It definitely does. We can attest. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're talking through some of these examples. I just paid for a chimney cap. Not something you normally think of, yeah. but ours was leaking. I don't. It was the original one, so it's over forty years old, and uh, yeah, it cost me eight hundred bucks for something that you can't see. It doesn't do anything except for keeping, <laughs> I guess, your chimney from elements, r- yeah. rotting out. Yeah. But uh, home warranties, these are a poor solution that could leave you in the lurch when something at your home is in dire need of actual repair or replacement. You're going to be far better off to put 
500 bucks or however much you're paying in premiums uh, in premiums take that money and put it in your savings account uh, and then just add to it regularly so that you can tackle some of these issues yourself when they do pop up there are differing opinions as to how much you should plan to spend on home maintenance but I've seen anywhere between one and five percent of the purchase price or cost of the home as a good rule of thumb. That being said, I've never, I don't think I've ever spent in a single year more than 1% of the purchase price. I feel like 5% is on the... That's the high side. Yeah. If, sure. if you want maximum comfort and surety that you've got enough money on hand to cover any and everything that comes down the pike, all right, you can do that. But I've been very happy with just having 1%. Uh, but just start that sinking fund, start that savings bucket. And again, especially considering how high of a rate that banks are paying right now in high yield savings accounts. It's even more of an incentive to keep that cash within your own accounts while it's sitting there paying you a dividend, paying you interest. Yeah. Home warranty plans. If you get one because you bought the home, okay, fine, but don't renew it. Don't keep it around. And for anybody out there who's thought about them, who's been, you know, gotten the flyer in the mail or something like that. I know it's tempting, but truly they're a bad financial move most of the time for most people. That's right. All right, man, let's get to our next question. This is from a listener who is starting to invest. He specifically is wondering, which of these two paths should I go down? Let's hear his question. Hi there. My name is Andrew, and I have a question regarding Roth IRA versus 401k retirement savings. I'm 49, just about to turn 50, and up until this point, I haven't had really any excess money to invest in retirement savings, and I'm ready to finally take the plunge and start putting money toward uh, this as aggressively as possible. Who do you recommend opening an account with for either of these accounts? Is that something I can do with someone like Vanguard or my bank? or which is the easiest route to do this? And then how do I guide or control how those accounts are invested, or is that not a possibility? Thank you so much. All right, Matt, I love love hearing that Andrew is is ready to get started investing. And you know, he mentioned taking like the, you know, he wants the easy route. But the, the truth is the easy route's not always the best route. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, investing is easier than most people think. And we think that, keeping it simple is the best route to go. You can go super complex. And there are a lot of people on Wall Street who want to push people into more complex ways or uh, ways of thinking about their investments. But we think that that's usually to try to make you feel incompetent so that you end up paying them to do it for you. That's right. But and, that being said, there are some specifics that you do need to pay attention to yes. once you are you know, at the point that Andrew is and he's looking to invest some of his additional income that he's got. Yeah. And specifically, he mentioned the 401k or he's like trying to vacillate or think about which accounts he contributes to. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's important to mention that you don't get to pick the company that you do business with when we're talking about your 401k, right? You, you do get to pick the funds that you want to invest in inside of your account, but you don't get to choose the plan administrator. That gets picked by your employer. But you should be able to talk to your your HR department, Andrew, and, and you should be able to get enrolled in your workplace retirement account relatively easily. That shouldn't be very difficult. And uh, by the way, the number one reason we would uh, tell you to opt for the 401k over the Roth IRA, even though they're both accounts that we love a lot, is because there's in all likelihood free money that you have access to if you go with the 401k instead, if you go with that employer-sponsored account. If your company offers a match, and I hope they do, take them up on it, right? And contribute enough to get the full match before you go down the IRA path. Because yeah, let's say Matt, the, the traditional amount that, that gets matched is if you contribute six, the company will contribute three. And if you take advantage of that, boom, you're all of a sudden investing 9% of your income, which is a great place to be. Then you can kind of maybe lean in the Roth direction. But if you get that match, it's important to take care of that first. Definitely. Yeah, that is absolutely where you want to start. But beyond that, once you are ready to invest, let's say you've got that match, you've got the full amount there, but you know what, maybe there are some fees associated with that 401k, that certainly makes it worth it to get that match. But then beyond that, what you sh- what should you do with those additional dollars? This is when you get to decide who it is that you're going to invest with. Uh, you mentioned two different routes that you could take, right? Well, one of them rocks, <laughs> one of them sucks. Vanguard is certainly one of our absolute favorites. 
But were you to open an IRA with a bank, well, that's typically a really bad idea because of the insane fees that you're going to likely incur, even if it is the easiest path. I was like squirming in my chair when he said that. It's like the bank, it's like, oh, I've already got an account with them. Why why wouldn't I invest with them? Well, so I'll say Ally, they've got some solid investment options, but almost every other bank out there is going to offer funds that have sky high expense ratios, which means that those, the cost of investing within those funds are, are going to eat into your returns. They're going to eat into your ability to retire. So you want to you want to keep costs low so that all of your money is actually working for you. It's all invested. And with that in mind, it's it's best to stick with some of our, our favorite low cost companies like Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, Chuck. You know, that's what everyone <laughs> talks about Chuck. Uh, M1, that's another great option as well if you're looking for something that has a more, uh, not sophisticated, but more of like an online interface. They've got a great app. Better app, yeah. Uh, but Andrew, like, honestly, if you're starting from scratch, though, I would absolutely point you to, specifically to Fidelity, because of their zero-cost funds. They've yeah. got this whole lineup of zero funds where they're completely free. There there are no costs. And even though Vanguard, like the equivalent fund, might cost you 0.03%, literally, three or four hundredths of a percent, <laughs> I would still rather pay... Absolutely nothing, sure. uh, you know, given given the choice. And so just something to keep in mind. And you can invest in some total stock market index funds over there. But let's say his 401k uh, provider through work is Vanguard. And it's just nice and easy to have everything under one roof. That's such yeah. a negligible difference. that yep. It's like, yeah, just keep everything with Vanguard under one roof. Why not? But uh, yeah, the, the 401k first, if you have the match. If not, go straight to the Roth IRA. But those are the two first vehicles that you're going to want to consider and lean into. And by the way, we we have an, uh, an investment guide for beginners on the site that we'll link to in the show notes. And and hopefully that'll help you think through how much you're contributing, what accounts you're contributing to, and what funds you're picking at the same time, right? Like if you want everything to be spelled out and you want to be able to reference it along the way, that's yeah. the place we would suggest that you turn. But uh, get aggressive with this, right? Make it a goal to get the full match your employer offers. And then, and then make it your goal to max out the Roth IRA so that you're doing kind of uh, both things at the same time, right? The cap is $6,500 this year, but you also mentioned that you're about to turn 50. And so I think you were saying that in like a, a negative way, like, oh man, I'm starting late. But here's the other cool silver thing. Silver lining. Silver lining to being older <laughs> and getting started is that you can put more money in That's right. when you're older because of something known as catch-up contribution. So it, the, the limit, yes, for mere mortals, 49 and below is $6,500, but you you, Andrew, can contribute $7,500 a year thanks to catch-up contributions. You can contribute more in a 401k too, but since, I don't know, that th- then we're talking about big money because the cap for, for normal folks on that is $22,500, which is a lot in and of itself. And the catch-up contribution on that 401k for people 15 and older is $7,500 extra dollars. So you're talking about being 7, able to- 7,500 extra dollars. Extra. So if you, were, <laughs> if you were maxing out as a 50-year-old guy, uh, your 401k, with the ketchup, the Roth with the ketchup, we're talking about $37,500, which is insane, right? And so don't set the bar that high because you might uh, feel like a failure for not hitting it. That's That's a lot of money to be socking away. But if you can at least get the match, max out the Roth, that's a great way to go about it. And yeah, I think you'll, you'll, you'll be shocked after 15 years of how much money you have in your retirement nest egg, how much you're able to build uh, just by doing those two things and making it a high priority on your financial to-do list. That's right. Andrew, we hope that gets you pointed in the right direction. Joel, we've got a couple additional questions to get to. We're going to talk about health sharing plans. We're going to talk about marketing a business. We'll get to both of those right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we got more questions to get to. A couple more on this Ask HTM episode. Specifically, we're going to get to one that Matt's got a ton of expertise in because he's done it. He's built it from the ground floor. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, let's... It's less impressive than it thinks. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> give yourself some credit. Let's uh, first, though, Matt, get to a question from a listener who has uh, the same health sharing account that we have. And she's curious, are we able to invest in HSAs or not? Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Margaret from Atlanta. I really enjoy your podcast. I've been listening for about a year and I've learned a lot. My question is about health savings accounts. I'm enrolled in MediShare as I believe both of you are as well. My plan has a $9,000 initial share, what sounds like a high deductible, but this plan is not a qualified plan, so it does not meet the requirements of a high deductible health plan. As I understand it, I cannot contribute to a health savings account unless I am enrolled in a qualified high deductible health plan. Am I missing something? Thank you for your guidance. All right, Margaret's asking about HSAs, which are our absolute favorite. And yes, Margaret, we are MediShare members just like you. And yes, you, or I should say no, <laughs> you cannot contribute to an HSA, neither can we. You are not missing anything here. Uh, in our opinion, um, it's, it's one of the biggest downsides of not having an actual high deductible healthcare plan. Uh, if so, we'd be maxing that, that puppy out every single year if we yeah, could. We would. Uh, but the out-of-pocket costs that we assume for healthcare or for health sharing are so much lower with our MediShare plans uh, than what we'd fork out with a traditional insurance plan that because of that, because the difference is so vast, we are willing to forego access to an HSA, which yeah. by principle is the most tax advantage retirement account that you can utilize and put to use. But even still, we are willing to forego some of those benefits because of the savings we're actually realizing. Yeah, it, it'd almost be like, Matt, trading in your uh, Corolla that is worth like $5,000 and man, it just all reliable, gets you everywhere you need to go, and you trade it in for a, a new Rivian truck because guess what? You're going to save 120 bucks a month on gas. Like that, it kind of feels like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't make much sense. Like the yeah, you got a shiny new Rivian, but you probably did. You, you were doing fine, right? You were doing you're doing great, and probably your overall costs are going to go up a whole lot because that Rivian is really expensive. And I also I wish we uh, that I could contribute to an HSA, but our medical sharing plan it saves us so much money that we'd be letting the tail wag the dog if we opted to get a traditional insurance plan for mm -hmm. our families instead of going with the health sharing plan that we're with. And so we're talking about some I don't know roughly like three thousand dollars worth of premiums every single year, and they're not really premiums because it's not technically health insurance; uh, it's our monthly share amount. But that's instead of uh, premiums on a traditional health insurance plan for us, which would 
costs in the neighborhood of $24,000 a year. That's a big difference. And so uh, it is important to note, like I said, that these sharing plans are not actually insurance. And they don't necessarily even make sense for most folks, although they make sense for Matt's family and for my family, especially uh, though with the higher subsidies that the healthcare exchange currently has on offer for low and moderate income people, it's important to at least take a look and to see, well, how expensive is this plan actually going to be for me with that government kickback? And so know the trade-offs and know whether or not you're willing to jump through the hoops, but uh, self-insuring more and going in the health sharing direction can make sense for some folks. Certainly seems like there's a theme with this episode as far as self-insuring and taking care of things yourself. Yeah. Uh, it can save you a lot of money. But the reason that we talk about health savings accounts, and I'm going to start saying that instead of saying HSAs, because I just realized that health sharing accounts oh, <laughs> or health sharing plans, there might be a little bit of confusion there. But we're talking about health sharing versus health savings accounts, which are associated with those high deductible insurance plans. But the reason that we talk about health savings accounts a good bit, even though we don't have access to one, and even though we don't utilize them ourselves, is because so many people out there, so many How to Money listeners, they do have access to an HSA because of those high deductible plans that they are using. Health sharing accounts, they're a, a minuscule fraction of the overall marketplace. Like basically, we're just outliers. Uh, and how <laughs> we don't bring it up a whole lot on the show because yeah, it makes not, sense for us, but we're not like it's not for everybody preaching the gospel of health sharing plans because they don't make sense for most people. Exactly. Well, and you said like the gospel. A lot of times, like they are uh, religious affiliated or yeah. whatever like there's some requirements there but there, there are, are some that aren't I think Liberty Healthcare is no, one Liber I think Liberty or did they change the requ their requirements or what's there's the other one Sidera now Sephora no that's makeup so, oh. <laughs> Sidera uh, Crowd Health that's one that they're a newer player and I'm interested to see how, how they end up doing but it's the same principle yeah. where it's not technically insurance but you're all contributing and the idea is that you take care of a lot of expenses yourselves but then beyond a certain amount everyone kind of chips in and, mm -hmm. and helps each other out but for everyone else out there who wants actual real insurance, <laughs> health savings accounts, they really are one of the best accounts in the world because they are triple and sometimes even quadruple tax advantage. Because if you also count the, the fact that you don't have to pay payroll tax on the money that you do contribute to an HSA, it actually comes out to four different ways that you save on taxes. And we have an article that breaks down all the different ways that you're able to save with an HSA. And actually, we've got there's an article too on the health sharing plans and how you might be able to save. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Yeah, and we have actually probably do do more on that because there are have been a lot more that popped up. I mentioned Sedera briefly. And yes, is, it is, is that the name of it? S-E-D-E-R-A.com. Okay. Uh, th there is no sort of religious component to that one. Yeah. And so, to that one, nor to crowd health. Yeah. Both of those are, are totally... Um, secular or yeah. whatever. So it's worth regular looking into <laughs> looking into some of those and seeing like, oh, okay, cool. What if I if I shelf insured? How much am I paying in premiums and do I get as much of a subsidy as I thought I was getting or am I I'm paying more than I thought for premiums. And, and, you know, if you've got health insurance through your employer, in all likelihood, they're subsidizing a good bit of those premiums. And that is best for you, too. And since so much of our uh, health insurance around the country comes uh, from its employer provided, then it probably doesn't make sense to go out on your own and skip out mm -hmm. on that. But Matt, let's get uh, to our last question for this episode. This one is it's probably going to allow me to take a back seat, let you just respond. And uh, I'm just going to chill, sip my beer. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Madison, and I'm from the Philadelphia area. I started my own photography business, and I'm looking for the best marketing ideas and strategies I can use to help grow my business. I know, Matt, you were once a photographer, so I'm really looking for some advice here. I have used social media to advertise, but all my clients have been friends, family, and a few by word of mouth. I know there are many marketing and advertising platforms out there, but they cost more money than what I'm bringing in right now. My goal is to have at least one paid gig per month. Thanks for your advice and keep those beer recommendations coming. Yeah, Madison, once upon a time, I was <laughs> was a photographer, but great to hear from you. And by the way, I wanted to mention, I'm happy to hear that you too appreciate a delicious craft beer because it wouldn't be out of money with all those tasty beverages. Unless, Joel, you end up getting like celiac disease or <laughs> Oh, man, or I hope not. We're, we're <laughs> I had a friend that happened to and he's like, man, I used to enjoy craft beer. Can't anymore. <laughs> I think I would just say... 
I guess my bowel is going to be irritated. Or, I would, uh, or isn't that what it does? It like irritates your gut? Or just shuffle off this mortal coil, you know, one of the two. <laughs> Thank you for your question. And I'm going to preface this by saying I'm by no means a marketing expert, uh, but I can definitely share what it is that worked for us. And honestly, before even diving into the marketing side of things, it might be helpful to take a step back and to look at the overall big picture. Like specifically, I think it's worth focusing on the type of photography that you're doing. Because back when Kate and I started our company, one of the biggest reasons we focused on wedding photography was because there were very few folks who were providing the kind of images and the kind of photography coverage that we uh, were looking for when we got married. And like basically what I'm talking about here. You saw the hole in the market and you wanted to fill it. Yeah, there was an opportunity there. Like it's supply and demand. There was a lot of demand. And I knew that because I was the demand, like I was living it with very little supply to to meet that need. Mm-hmm. And so we had already kind of identified a, a key advantage there. So I think that's worth thinking through. Uh, but assuming you've already done that, or honestly, even if you're not interested in changing the, the, the product or the service that you're willing to provide, how can more people find you? And I'll tell you, one of the things that we I was going to suggest wearing a sandwich board. Uh, always. <laughs> you could always, you could do that. It's just catchy. Wrap, you know? your, wrap your car with and like your, yes. your face. And like nobody a, does it anymore. <laughs> I think sandwich boards are underrated. Okay. One of the things that we consistently focused on was Google's local search results. Basically, when someone Googled Atlanta wedding photographers, like we wanted to be what couples saw under those business results. It's like at the top of the page, you got the little map there with our little, little red pin. We wanted folks to see that. And that means you need to have a, a physical address there in Philadelphia, assuming that you're providing services that are location specific. I guess if you are like a stock photographer, then I mean, then location doesn't matter. But that's not what you're asking about. Like you're asking about trying to market to individuals. Uh, but then once you have that listing, make sure and actually flesh that business listing, that profile out, of course, add photos, but include other details as well uh, so that it looks legit. But then after that, ask previous clients of yours to leave a review so that potential new clients will then have some peace of mind knowing that you actually do a great job. And of course, Google likes seeing those five stars as well. It starts ranking you higher in those results. And this is going to take some time to build, but Luckily, it kind of sounds like that you're you're not in a rush, right? You mentioned maybe being able to get up to the point where you've got a, a gig a month. Uh, so it sounds like this is part-time at most, but mm-hmm. understand that this is going to take time. It takes time for A, for individuals to lead those reviews, but then B, for Google to recognize that and, and to kind of start rewarding you for that. But that's going to be, you might not be getting paid a lot, but that's going to be one of the biggest currencies you're going to want is trading in reviews. And you're, you're Basically, you're building your repu- like your online reputation by building up that yeah. business. I mean, listing. it makes me think of my AC guy that I just mentioned, and he texted me after that visit, and he said, hey, can you leave me a review? And I was like, of course, I'll do it Boom. right now. There and you go. and he's, he's building that up, got this... Uh, big old slate of five-star reviews reviews now nice. and now people are going to find him it's i mean honestly similar to what podcasters go through like those reviews do a lot to help uh, us reach other potential listeners so if you're Absolutely. listening and you haven't left a review go do that <laughs> and i would say it's even harder to do that for a podcast because podcasts aren't typically geographically centric right yeah. like you're not looking for Atlanta personal finance podcast. Like that doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're competing with everybody around basically the entire world, mm-hmm. which kind of makes it a little more difficult than focusing there geographically uh, on Philadelphia. But Madison, I would also then think of what other like quote unquote unfair advantages you might have specifically when it comes to your network that could help to boost your business. So for instance, what I'm thinking of, like, could you get to know the folks like at a great local pediatrician's office because it turns out you actually want to photograph newborns. You want to photograph babies. Uh, or maybe you want to be a pet photographer. Well, like, do any of your friends happen to work at a vet's office? If so, great. But if not, introducing yourself, making those connections, they go a long way. Uh, and maybe even offering a discount to their customers. That way, they, they, like they've got an added incentive to mention you to their clients because it's something, it's, it's added value that they're able to provide to their clients. It's like, hey, look, this, she's a great photographer. Yeah. She's offering a discount. To you, because you come here, it makes them look good. Or what as is well. it like when you get your your pet like uh, clipped and trimmed and like looking all good and or stuff like, like the that? Groomers or yeah. Whatever. So maybe yeah. maybe you're able to put up a flyer and say fifteen percent off for anybody go, who, who goes to Fifi's Groomers, <laughs> and now you know th- their dog is looking all all fly and they want photos of their pet specifically 
because they've never looked better. They're looking fresh. <laughs> but so that actually raises the question, should you actually offer discounts or, or even work for free? I feel like this is kind of an ongoing debate. I mean, at least it was back in like when I was doing photography, but I'm sure a lot of industries struggle. Uh, there's sort of like the same debate going on. It's up to you. But this is something that we definitely did when we were first getting started, because it's difficult to get someone to trust you enough to hire you, right? To fork over real money. Uh, but if you're offering a deal, <laughs> if you're offering work for free, that changes things. I think this is a great way to get the ball rolling. Helps you to get some of those initial reviews in. It helps you to build out a great looking portfolio. And then you can start getting paid what it is that you're actually worth. I mean, going back to that groomer example, Matt, that you just mentioned, a pet groomer. Like, what if you went in there and you told the groomer, hey, listen, how about I snap some photos and create some enlargements? Like, all you got to pay for is the printing and framing costs. And we'll put these up in your lobby. Hey, guess what? Your lobby's going to look awesome and it's going to exhibit your work. Uh, but all I ask in return is that you put up my flyers here on the front when people are checking out. My business cards. Boom. I mean, what a great way. Like, you're, It's you're, not a fly. It's not like pet sitting where it's like tear, tear off a little... Right. So you want it to be like, you know, have like a nice little card there, like yeah. spend some money on printing. But there's all sorts of kind of ways that you, you don't necessarily have to be the SEO beast online. And yeah. that's helpful. But there's other ways if you're if you're kind of going on the, the local angle, like think outside the box like that. Something like that could could get you a lot further towards your targeted clientele than having the most optimized site in the history of websites. Yeah. Yeah. Lean into your strengths and, and what it is that not only that you are good at, but that you want to do. And I think a lot of folks, they do tend to emphasize maybe the social media side of things, because obviously that's where people are. That is really important. But it's also kind of, I don't know, it's, it's one of the easiest things, right? Like that's something IRL still matters, Matt. It, in real life, definitely, it, it still matters. I mean, folks are always on social media. And I think what that means is there are tons of accounts out there. There's a there's a ton of competition. How many folks are actually going in person and having conversations and basically presenting themselves in person? Because I think that goes a lot further than just simply paying for advertising, which is something else that, that Madison mentioned, how it can be expensive, pay yeah. like these expensive marketing platforms. And I would just completely avoid that. Like I think instead, like maybe collaborating with other content creators, I think even, again, working for free, that's a better way, I think, to get your work out there in front of new eyeballs. And plus, it's just, again, it's more relational. It's, it's a more relational way to build up a book of business rather than just a transact, like a transactional relationship, which, which is what happens when you just pay for an ad. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not opposed to going that direction if you, if you want to pay for ads. If, once you're actually pulling in some more serious revenue, um, it's just not the path that, uh, that we took. I, I think it's going to take a bunch of these different things at once, though, right? It's going to take some social media, some website stuff, some local in real life, uh, you know, reaching out to the customer you want. But uh, Matt, I think, yeah, that's a lot of good advice for, yeah, for yeah. Madison to go on. I feel like there's more that we could talk through, but we'll just stop there. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> Madison, that gets you pointed in the right direction. Actually, you missed a great opportunity, just like we missed the opportunity to celebrate our 700th episode. Uh, <laughs> so we're, um, I am just as at fault as you are, but you didn't say the name of your, of your, uh, your photography business. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to reach out to you and we'll make sure to link to your website or to your social media in the show notes within this episode, because that's yeah. another way to build up your website is when you've got other websites, uh, pointing back to your website, it creates credibility in the eyes of Google. So that's a... I'm not saying that our website's huge or anything like that, but it could help. And hopefully you get, get at least a few clients. We're, we're no Google.com. <laughs> we're no WSJ.com. <laughs> right. We'll New York that. Times or anything like that. But, Over uh, time. And, it's, and that's another thing too. Just it's, it's little by little. It's, yep. And uh, you can it, chip away at it. Person by person. And the, all of those relationships matter. Treating every customer well. Word of mouth is going to go a long way too in helping you build that business. And of course, doing great work, which is, you know, again, you asked about the marketing side of things. So we, we didn't talk about furthering your education and the experience and just creating an, an incredible product but obviously that's a part of it yeah. as, as well but, Most uh, all right man let's get back to the beer you and i enjoyed data loss this is an american pale ale what'd you think uh this is, might be the best pale ale i've ever had in my life is it because it tastes like not an american pale ale but an <laughs> india pale ale yeah exactly <laughs> i don't understand how it tasted so dang hoppy but was still a light Pale. I know. Well, and that's the problem. A lot it of pale ales. Pale, a lot of pale ales are just weak, right? They're just not bringing enough 
sauce uh, enough to flavor. the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not enough heat. Not packing enough heat. And this one was like just massively flavorful, which yeah, I've come to expect from Halfway Crooks. But dang, this was yeah. This tasted almost like a double IPA with how much flavor it was bringing. <laughs> but I love that it was a five percent beer at the yeah, same time. It so. didn't have that double IPA ABV or, yeah. or even just a regular IPA ABV. It was certainly under control. Under I don't want to say under wraps, but was. They felt very in charge when they were they were making this beer, but yeah, the the hot presence it almost gave it like a spiciness. Did you say bring in the heat? Yeah, or something it, like? it did. Like yeah. it, it it almost literally had not like they actually tossed habaneros in no, there, but n- not spicy in that way, but just a freshness with the hop that you could taste. What seemed like real chunks of hop <laughs> within the beer, which actually doesn't sound appetizing, but no, I don't want to yeah. be chewing hops <laughs> while I'm drinking beer. But anyway, yeah, another fantastic beer from Halfway Crooks Beer. If you ever happen to be in the Atlanta area, you've got to swing by. Their location there in Summerhill neighborhood in Atlanta is a phenomenal spot to drink beer. For right sure. On. We'll make sure to link to not only Madison's site or social, but some of the other resources we mentioned during this episode. You can find that up on our show notes up on the site at howtomoney.com. Got anything else for us? Oh, that's going to do it, man. All Happy right. 700. It's the kind of celebration that we'd get in trouble for if this was an anniversary with our (laughs) Can't forget about those. No. No. Uh, That's going to be it for this one, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.